Good afternoon, universe, and welcome to your weekly dose of worldview demolition. Cross-defense, breaking down the stronghold bad opinions and false notions of the enemy, and setting up shop with the mighty fortress of our Lord's Word. I am your host, Pastor Jonathan Fisk, and together we're on a journey of imagination into the truth of Christian dogma, believing firmly that when God speaks, he does so with the power to imbue us, to wake us up, to regenerate us, so that we speak it back and speak it in its full life-giving truth. It's just like St. Paul says, we are to hunger for this truth because it's what we live from. Doctrine is life. Watch your life and doctrine closely because the time is coming, he says, when people will not put up with sound doctrine. But to suit their own passions, they will gather together teachers to teach what their itching ears would rather hear. I think we live in that time, my friends. You, however, Christian... Hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught, and so encourage others. Today we have as our guest, as we make our way through Dr. Francis Pieper's Christian Dogmatics, Volume 1, page 80, Part B, of the various segmentations, divisions of Christian doctrine. We have as our guest, Pastor Jacob Bobby, pastor at First Trinity Lutheran Church in Bloomfield, Nebraska, and Pastor Samuel Bobby, that's right, they're brothers. He's pastor at St. Paul's Lutheran Church in Aberdeen, South Dakota. Gentlemen, welcome back to the show. It's been a little while since I had you both on together, so it's, it's good to do that. Looking forward to it. Good to be here. Thanks for having us. Absolutely, absolutely. So part B here on page 80 in this, again, Divisions of Christian Doctrine, this is the second of the divisions that he's laid out. The first was Law and Gospel. This one today we're going to start in on fundamental and non-fundamental doctrines, which I find is a fascinating distinction. It's like uh, fundamental and non-fundamental words of God. I mean, what? Yeah. And then open questions and theological problems will be for a later time. But uh, do you guys have any thoughts about just this idea of uh, what what is he getting at with the Divisions of Christian Doctrine? and these these various ways of looking at it. Uh, the way I've talked about it before is that these are sort of frameworks for approaching our doctrine. It, it isn't really, uh, this is true, this is not true. It's more like, if i got to pick a starting point, this is kind of the, the, the rules I keep in mind as I decide where to start. But maybe you guys got a better way of looking at that. What are your thoughts? Uh, Sam, why don't you go first? Well, I mean, he kind of brings that up a little bit later down the page because he'll use the doctrine concerning Christ kind of as related to the doctrine concerning the Antichrist and how they're compared. You know, yeah, obviously they're both true, um, but he uses as this criteria relation to saving faith. And I think, like you said, if you're going to have a starting point, that's where you start, and that's what he's saying. And what I found very interesting, I think is important for whoever's listening to this to recognize, is that he'll start off by saying, I love this, this distinction between fundamental and non-fundamental doctrines quote, is not a dispensation from accepting certain doctrines of the Bible. It's like he knows exactly what people are going to try to do with this. Hmm. They're going to try to say, okay, oh, so we agree on these fundamental doctrines, therefore it doesn't matter what you say about the non-fundamentals. No, 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 we just want to make sure that you recognize talking about saving faith is different than talking about certain other issues, but they're all important. Jacob, you got thoughts? Yeah, yeah, I think that... um when you're dealing with any large body of, of knowledge or truth, like Christian doctrine, it's helpful to have categories by which to differentiate the parts of the doctrine, um, whether you're talking about law or gospel, um, uh, which he does originally here in this part, or, or fundamental and non-fundamental doctrines. Um, but it's, 
it is great that he brings out this idea that it doesn't it's not a disposition from accepting certain doctrines of the Bible because you see how it could easily flow into that and I, and you hear that sometimes you know uh, where people will uh, pastors or Christians you know as long as we all believe in Jesus you know that and and they'll they'll use this idea of fundamental and non fundamental um, functionally to to say well uh, we can then these these don't matter and that's not what people are saying they're all matter. They're all important um, because they're all from the Scripture, and um, we believe all that the Scripture teaches. But within that framework of all Scripture is important and all Scripture influences what we believe, and that is doctrine, um, these are two categories by which uh, to further make sense of this larger piece. Yeah, so categories for making sense of things. But what you said there a little bit, Pastor Bobby, Jacob, is uh, it reminds me of the abuse that I have heard of this, which is, and it's not necessarily that someone read Peeper and then went out and abused it, but this floats around evangelicalism and, and certainly old school liberal evangelicalism a lot. It's not so much in the church growthy side today, but but it, it does show up with different words. But the way they would say this is, we're going to major in the majors and minor in the minors. And I think that's not what he's saying here at all, but you might think that is what it is when you hear terms like fundamental and non-fundamental. And, and so, again, well, what does it mean to major in the majors and minor in the minors? It means we're going to worry about the things that are really big and important, but the things that we think are not quite as important, we're not going to worry about that at all. right? And, and he, so he's not saying we can minor in the minors. He's saying major in the majors and major in the minors and just know the difference, right? Yeah, yeah, I I think you you hear that from people because if you look at back in the history of of sort of the, you know in American Christianity there's there's a fundamentalist kind of controversy about the time that people was writing especially amongst the Presbyterian Church and and you know that's where they lay out they're they're responding to modern sort of liberal theology and they have to lay out the five fundamentals that you have to believe you know and I think that that turns into well, these are the five things that matters, and all the rest doesn't don't matter. But but people would say no, they all matter. Um, but within that all mattering, you can talk about fundamental and non fundamental in the sense of what the house what the house and what the house is built upon. You know. And then, as we're going to see in the text, and maybe if I don't want you want to say something about this before we get to it, that's fine. But so much of this distinction isn't about true, not true, important, not important. It's more about how close is this to whether or not you need to believe it to be saved, right? Yes. Right. Well, and it's interesting, too, because I've oftentimes heard as a response, and it turns out it's a really good response to people who want to kind of say major in the majors and minor in the minors or what have you. Um, I've heard a response to that be, well, what part of God's Word isn't important? Mm-hmm. You know, and I realize after reading the section on Peeper that that is a really good response, I, you know, because what you're saying here is that if you say there's such a thing as minor and major and you turn this fundamental, non-fundamental doctrine distinction into the ability to, okay, what do you need to be saved? You will necessarily lose the inerrancy of Scripture. And if there's one thing that's clear within Peeper and within history and within Scripture itself is when you lose uh, the inerrancy of Scripture and, and, and that doctrine, well, then you start to lose the gospel, and uh, you're going to start bringing in other things. And I think that is what's so wonderful about the way that he makes this distinction, is, is the reason why he's making the distinction is uh, to keep things actually within 
the uh, inspiration of Scripture. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is always, and we we spent you know the first nine months of of uh, cross defense on people dealing with that because that is it is once you lose that you kind of lose everything and it's kind of a uniquely modern heresy kind of there was some scriptural controversy in the in the uh, early church too but not quite the same way so okay so looking at page 80 of volume one of francis peeper's peeper's christian dogmatics first paragraph reads like this it says the distinction between fundamental and non-fundamental doctrines and the further distinction between primary and secondary fundamental articles, now don't let your eyes glaze over, it's okay, we're going to explain it, is not a dispensation from accepting certain doctrines of the Bible. And that's kind of what we just said a moment ago. So what we're going to talk about doesn't mean the Bible is not true. The fact that there are fundamental and non-fundamental doctrines, and then amongst those fundamental ones, there are things that are even more kind of primary, more at the heart, and those others that come secondary. But but before we even talk about those things and those distinctions, you just got to know this is not a freedom to say that, well, since it's a little bit less, it doesn't matter. No, it all still matters. No man has the right to discard any scripture teaching. This is so, so important. You don't get to say, oh, the Bible says that, but... You don't get to say that. That's not an option for a Christian to do that. You don't get to change it a little bit so it says more like what you wanted to say. That's just not what you're allowed to do. Scripture itself expressly forbids this. Christ gave his church the specific commission. This is Peter again. Now he's quoting Jesus, Matthew 28. Teach them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. All things, not some, all. And Paul declares in Acts 20, I have not shunned to declare, I love the Old Testament, or the Old Translation, I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God, right? I haven't held anything back. In the Old Testament, too, men were forbidden to add to the written word or to take anything away from it. You can check out Joshua 1, 8, or Deuteronomy 17, 19 on that. That means that nothing in Scripture may be regarded as superfluous or worthless, Whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning. And you can look at Romans 15 for that. you got 2 Timothy 3.16, 1 Corinthians 10.11, and, and so forth. Final, final sentence here. But while all doctrines of Scripture are important and binding, we do well to distinguish between fundamental and non-fundamental doctrines as Scripture does. And this distinction has great practical value. So he's actually going to make the case that Scripture is going to tell us how to discern between fundamental and non-fundamental. Before we get there, you don't get to take from this that some things are simply not important. In fact, I don't remember which, which who says this, whether it's Walther or, or Chemnitz or Luther, but, but effectively this idea that um, – I've got to catch it. Uh, I just lost it here for a second um, – Oh, where did it go? Where did it go? Come back. Come back, idea. Um, oh, shoot. I can't remember it. Uh, don't get to decide, Don't get to reject. Da, 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 da. Uh, I lost it. I don't know. What are your thoughts, guys? You got to help me here. Yeah. I mean, picking up where you, where you, where you talk, I think it's important to understand that, that uh, as far as I see it, Peeper's not making a qualitative distinction here in the sense of better or worse or important and unimportant or something we really have to agree upon and, and things that don't matter, which I think is what kind of fundamentalism kind of even even within uh, evangelical Christianity tends to get towards, but that this is more like a logical um, categorical distinct, distinction in the same way that, you know, like a corollary follows from a, a true proposition, true, you know, so a true proposition following from another true proposition, you know, and so, um, and and so that is useful, 
because it, it allows us to understand, as the Scriptures themselves teach, that there is a fundamental doctrine, which is the Gospel. And, if you, and we have to always come back to that. Mm-hmm. And, and everything has to be related back to that. Um, and everything does relate back to that, as the scriptures themselves show. And so, um, and so, it's it's not only it's not only true because the scriptures themselves lay out these kind of doctrines, fundamental, non-fundamental, but it's useful um, and practical um, for us in order to bring everything back to the understand to the to the gospel, which is at the center. Yeah, yeah, that's good. That's good, Sam. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that before, but that's really good. I mean, because if you make a distinction between like a, you know, a qualitative distinction here versus just a logical distinction, that does set up the practical reality, the practical usefulness that you're always going to bring this back to this fundamental doctrine, but not in a way that qualitatively, to use Jacob's language, excludes other doctrines. Um, And that is really important and practical in the sense of advancing the gospel. Like, you always want to make sure... Uh, that salvation through faith in Christ by uh, grace alone is at the heart of it. That justification is at the heart of it. And one way to do that is say this is the funda- this is the fundamental doctrine from which all the other uh, upon which all the other doctrines are built. And that is, I, you know, I hadn't necessarily initially saw that as the practical implications of what he's talking about. But that probably is the most important practical implication of making this distinction. Is that since this is the fundamental doctrine, not qualitatively but logically it always has to come back to that. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's a, that is a, a wonderful way to kind of apply what, what people are saying here. Yeah, and to put, it, to put it in other terms, out of Walther's Law and Gospel, he says that the gospel must predominate, right? Well, it's predominating right. because it's fundamental. Yeah, it is, in fact, yeah. the point. He right. says in another place in the same work that all of our preaching of the law must be for the express purpose of preaching the gospel, which means that the gospel actually is a little more fundamental, right? The other one's serving, getting us to the gospel. Yeah. And it, it, I remembered my my uh, brain loss there a moment ago, which was, I believe it was Luther, but I, I could be wrong about that again, but, but uh, who, who effectively said, that if I come to a part of Scripture that I don't understand its value, and so let's just throw out a name uh, like uh, uh, Mahala Hashabas, yeah? Like if you don't know who that is, well, that's okay, but let's say I just don't know who that is, and I can't think, well, what value does that have to my faith? The problem is not, and actually, we actually know a little bit about him. If you had to find a name of someone who we don't know anything about, you might say, what value is that to my faith? And the problem is not is not the thing itself. The problem is us and our lack of insight into it. And so faith comes to those things and says, I might not understand yet how this is serving my faith, but it does, because all Scripture is breathed out by God and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training, and righteousness, right? All, all that kind of stuff there. And so ultimately, uh, what we have is is a recognition that one way or the other, the fundamental non-changing truth of the gospel is enacting itself upon us through and by means of all of the rest of scripture which point to it uplift it hold it curb us back to it all that kind of stuff so thoughts well one of the implications about what you say there what will luther said the quotation there about hey if there's a problem with scripture it brings it back to us that's an important move to make because in order to find air in the scripture you're going to have to import another criteria from outside of Scripture, from the world. And this is where uh, you start uh, getting into trouble, okay? So, I mean, at what I say, what are you going to use as a criteria to start excluding thing, 
things from God's Word. But when the if you put the onus back on the person who's reading the Scriptures and they'll say, I lack the insight here and I'm going to stand on God's Word, it always will allow God's Word to be God's Word. And, it, you know, not surprisingly, whenever this happens, whenever people start playing fast and loose or introducing other criteria to decide what should and shouldn't be considered God's Word, it always leads to the fundamental loss of the gospel. I mean, that's what Pieper was dealing with. That's what Luther was dealing with, too. That's what we're dealing with as well. Cross Defense on Worldwide KFUO. Christ for you anytime, anywhere. Coming right back in just a moment. How do we love our neighbor on the Internet? Why are the creeds so important? What does it mean to practice Christian hospitality? Questions like these are answered in every edition of The Lutheran Witness, the monthly magazine of the LCMS. The Lutheran Witness can help you interpret the world from a Lutheran Christian perspective by providing reliable, biblical reflections on the issues that you care about the most. Get your free issue at cph.org witness. That's cph.org witness. Join Lutheran Immigration and Refugee Service and congregations across the country as we celebrate Refugee Sunday, a time to lift up the gifts that migrants and refugees bring to our country and to reflect on Christ's message to welcome the stranger. Together, we can continue the mission of welcoming, embracing, and empowering newcomers. Visit lirs.org slash kit to download the Refugee Sunday kit for your congregations, including worship guides, bulletin inserts, videos, and more. lirs.org slash kit. This winter, consider a smart and easy gift to KFUO that pays you back. A charitable gift annuity provides both lifetime cash payments and makes a legacy gift to KFUO. Since gift annuity payout rates are based on age, this way of giving is attractive to those listeners 65 or older. For information, call Mary at 314-996-1518. That's 314-996-1518. We'll send a representative out to answer your questions about gift annuities and how you can establish a legacy of giving to Worldwide KFUO. I'm World Lutheran News Digest host Kip Allen. Every day, things happen that affect the lives of Lutherans worldwide. Whether it's mercy efforts to a disaster-stricken community, threats to religious liberty, or cultural trends. World Lutheran News Digest takes an in-depth look at one issue each week as I interview newsmakers and experts. All Sarah Golseth presents a quick look at the week's news. World Lutheran News Digest may be heard every Wednesday at 2.30 and Saturday at 9.30 on Worldwide KFUO. The gospel is fundamental, and if you lose that, you lose everything else. Talking about fundamental and non-fundamental doctrines here on Cross Defense on Worldwide KFUO. I'm Pastor Jonathan Fisk, and we got Pastor Samuel Bobby and Pastor Jacob Bobby in the house. And during the break, they were doing a little chatting about the context of what Dr. Francis Pieper is dealing with and some of the moves that philosophers of that time were making, trying to effectively undermine Scripture with some of what we're talking about here. So, uh, Pastor Bobby, Jacob, would you like to follow up on that a little bit? Yeah, yeah. Um, I think, you know, it's important to understand Pieper, you know, he, he's writing in a particular context. And, um, and I mean, I mentioned, I mentioned the fundamentalist controversy that's kind of going on in this time in America. But, I mean, in Europe for nearly 200 years, you have, um, you know, the Enlightenment and, uh, and as that applies to the Church, the kind of higher critical method, which, which brings into question the Scriptures. And so you see from a lot of the modern theologians that he's kind of writing against not only a a, a, um, a denial well a denial of the of the vicarious atonement and Christ at the center, but also 
um, within the philosophical time frame, you know, people, philosophers who are writing on the philosophy of religion, looking outside of Christ and the fundamental doctrine in, uh, uh, as the fundamental doctrine and going back to that, and instead going back to other places. And, and, and um, Schleiermacher to be one of them, the idea of, of feeling, which we see people continually looking towards their feelings in order to understand God. Even, even nowadays, it's not as though that, that we see anything different from our day and age. And, um, and so even though, even though Pieper is writing his context uh, against these sorts of ideas, we still see this you know, very much alive today. That name Schleiermacher, one that maybe a lot of people don't know, but just should, because if you say, I feel Jesus in my heart, he's he's the one who taught you to say that. And and it, this guy from 1800s, and he's, he's had such a profound influence on American Christianity. Uh, it's it's kind of terrifying, actually. Pastor uh, Pastor Samuel, you got a, got a response? Well, I think I think you know people like you said don't realize like what a guy Schleiermacher. I mean, what does that sound? Sounds like a bad German dish or something like that. I mean, huh. what, why 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 care? But I mean, it's interesting because you know at the beginning of the the 19th century, when Pieper is you know uh, Pieper's writing the 19th century, the beginning of the 19th century, there was a, a, a fundamental crisis in the church, and they're asking this question at the beginning of the 19th century. Literally, how do you even do theology? How do you even talk? about God, because unlike uh, Francis Pieper, who will say, well, when you go back to the scriptures, uh, people weren't doing that. I mean, rationalism as an extension of the Enlightenment had literally said, I mean, if you can't find a scientific basis for this or base it upon reason alone, if you like John Locke or Rousseau or something like that, um, well, then you can't say anything for certain. And so you just see the fundamental Christian doctrines, the ones that he's going to go on, Pieper's going to go on the list, just being picked apart and picked apart and picked apart. I mean, I think it's people who are in the listening audience and who are just Christian in general have to try to conceive of a time where people were speculating, you can't say anything about God, and so how do we, how do we decide whether or not we can say anything? And what they said, well, look inside yourself. Look inside your feelings, look inside your personal experience. And at the time, uh, very well intended, I'm sure, but uh, the results of that uh, were fundamentally destructive uh, to the gospel. And so it is important to kind of people to, if nothing else, a plug to read a little bit about church history and see uh, kind of the ebb flow. But at the same time, like Jacob said, this is still going on. I mean, for goodness sakes, in our day and age, especially with kind of heightened individualism within, um, you know, technological society with social media and all these other things, uh, we fundamentally rely upon our, our, uh, our, our feelings quite often. And like you said, um, putting that within a theological t- context, write your thinking you know, to Schleiermacher. I like you, uh, your, your little, uh, I see what you did there talking about fundamentally destroying the gospel. That's very, very clever. Very, very clever. Uh, the next paragraph might move us in a little bit of a different direction, but uh, we've got to get through it here, so I'm going to start, start reading. This is the bottom full paragraph on page 80 of Volume 1. He says, It will become clear that this distinction is scriptural, that is, that there is fundamental and non-fundamental doctrine, and of practical value when, for example, the doctrine concerning Christ and the doctrine concerning the Antichrist are compared. 
Both doctrines are revealed in Scripture. Yep, check. But their relation to saving faith differs radically. They have they have a different relationship to your regenerative Holy Spirit-given trust in Jesus. The doctrine concerning Christ is the foundation of this faith. For saving faith has as its object Christ and his vicarious satisfaction. We plan spent plenty of time talking about that, so you should get that, yeah? It, it is faith in Christ. You're all children of God by faith in Christ Jesus, Galatians 3. The doctrine concerning Antichrist, however, is not fundamental to the Christian faith. Scripture nowhere says that men obtain forgiveness of their sins and are saved by knowing who the Antichrist is. Yeah, you follow? What it does say everywhere and always in the Old and in the New Testament is that salvation comes through the knowledge of Christ, through faith in Christ. This does not mean, however, that the doctrine of the Antichrist, as set down in Scripture, serves no purpose. Yeah? It serves saving faith inasmuch as it warns against the dangers threatening the Christian faith through Antichrist's seductions. We shall discuss the self-evident truth more fully later on. A remark in passing, the old Lutheran teachers did not, as some have stated, classify the doctrine of the Antichrist as a fundamental article. Rather, they have expressly declared that before as well as after the unveiling of the Antichrist by the Reformation, and yeah, he's talking about the Pope when he says that, many Christians did not and do not recognize the papacy as the Antichrist. So we can go off on on, on that little rabbit trail a little bit if you like, but kind of the first main thing here is like, Teaching Jesus Christ crucified has paid for your sins is the establishment of your faith. And thus, it's kind of closer to the center of your faith's life. It just has to be, because it's the foundation of it. Whereas the teaching that the Antichrist will come, has come, does come, many Antichrists even, to deceive you and steal your faith is not the foundation of your faith. But if you don't believe it, it actually is going to hurt your faith. Right, so it's it's still really, really important. It's not qualitatively different, as Pastor Bobby and Bobby were all saying earlier, but it is fundamentally different. Yeah, um, guys, you want to want to follow up on that? Yeah, yeah. You, uh, I mean, you see this nowadays. A great, it's, you see a great example on sort of like popular televised or AM radio Christianity, right? I mean, where the non-fundamental secondary. Hey, well, hold on. Did you just knock AM radio Christianity? Are you no, saying no. something? <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Keep going. Keep going. I thought you guys were epic. No, no, we're we're am and proud. <laughs> well, let me go on a little bit further to show how you don't fit in the category AM radio. I'm talking about uh, because um, you hear a lot of a lot of them talk talk about fundamental or non fundamental doctrines ad nauseum as though that's the only doctrine. I mean, how many how many the Antichrist being actually one of them and the hmm. end times. You know, like. Um, uh, these these continue to to talk about that and talk about that and you never ever hear the gospel and that's what separates that's what separates uh you know lutheranism from from other uh christianity that even though there are fun we agree on fundamentals lots of times you know our fundamental is at the center of what we do in terms of our doctrine and, and then that influences our practice because it's at the center of our preaching and you can hear it you know you'll hear a lutheran sermon and it will be about the gospel, you know, and it will do the gospel to the people. Whereas, a lot of uh, a lot of Christianity gets hung up on the non fundamentals, and it seems like all they talk about, and then and that and that doesn't actually get you to Jesus unless you make that move back to where it begins. Yeah, Sam. Yeah, well, I think the best line here, because I'm sure we've got 
uh, at least a few thousand people sitting down with their peeper dogmatics just waiting to see what they need to underline. <laughs> but you underline the line that says, Scripture Noah says that men obtain forgiveness of their sins and are saved by knowing who the Antichrist is. Uh, I, I, you know, to, that's, what he, that's what he's saying, Jacob. I think that's what you're saying, too. Um, the Antichrist is important, but Scripture no one says that you obtain forgiveness and are saved by knowing who the Antichrist is. However, what that doctrine does do is point you back to Christ. And this is something that was uh, iterated earlier that I think is good to be brought up. When you make this distinction between fundamental and non-fundamental doctrines, the way Peeper does, base it upon Jesus, base it upon the gospel, notice what it does. If you are going to talk about the Antichrist, well, you're going to have to bring it back to Jesus. As opposed, we're going to talk about the end times, and the message you're going to go away from is, God is coming, so you better watch out. You know, and there you go, and and then you know you start the next uh, radio program. Um, with respect to what he's doing here, you wouldn't be able to do that because what happened? Well, you you basically turned a non-fundamental doctrine into a fundamental doctrine um, by not talking about Jesus. Hmm. Hmm. And it, it kind of gets to another another way of distinguishing. It, not not quite the same things, but a way of distinguishing theology that you get out of. Uh, now I'm going to lose the guy's last name, but. Uh, uh, Religious bodies in America. Guy, you guys remember the name? Um, Manteuffel. No, no, it's not Manteuffel. But he's oh, the one. Well, Manteuffel. Uh, but, uh, he taught that class. Sorry. He detached he that professor. class. Yeah, yeah. And he's got his own Meyer? little book on it. Yeah, F. A. Meyer. That's it. That's it. Great yep, book. Yep. But he 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 brings up this this distinction between a material principle and a um, a formal principle. Very philosophical way of talking. But the material principle is this thing that actually drives everything right? it drives the ship as it were and the formal principle is more like what you say drives the ship which is often important as well but may not be the exact same thing and so he, he distinguishes that for lutheranism the formal principle is scripture right everything is what scripture right. says but the yeah. material principle is the gospel it is jesus christ crucified is what scripture actually says right and so it, not the exact same thing here but to say that this fundamental doctrine idea is very close to the material principle doctrine idea that, that is the thing that's yeah. driving everything else i think that's what Meyer says actually isn't it i mean that's, yes. that's literally what he says yeah that is the driving principle and i think that corresponds perfectly with what people are saying about fundamental and non-fundamental well, what's interesting also i suppose is to say based on what you guys have been sharing is kind of interesting so you know the evangelical churches don't all necessarily believe in premillennial dispensationalism and they don't necessarily all preach it the same way but it's like the material principle is like the thing that matters is the appearance of the antichrist right that, that is the thing that matters they would probably say their formal principle is scripture as well i, I would guess but that, that's just me kind of kind of putting two and two together on that but it, yeah. I think it's ironic that that happens to be his example, because I think at his time, there wasn't, I mean, maybe I'm wrong about this, but I don't think there was quite the push to, to pin the tail on the Antichrist back then. Yeah, I don't know about that, although although the early, um, <clears throat> I mean, I think I think close to that time is where you start to see Jehovah's Witnesses and things like that, and uh, church bodies like that really come into uh, into their own, although they may go back to the 1800s. I'm not sure about that. Sam, do you know about that? Uh, I don't know about them specifically. I do know, though, that there was lots of worries about the end times as leading up to the Civil War uh, <laughs> and after the war. But that's only here in the American context. I don't know what was going on. But, of course, you know, people's coming into that. You right. know, but yeah, the, that was a great time of upheaval. And so people were really looking towards, you know, okay, well, you know, maybe this is the end times, which is not unique in, in history. Anytime you seem to have a lot of social upheaval, people are like, this has got to be it. I was in the, where was I at just the other day? 
I was just talking to a guy who was a contractor, and he's like, it's got to be it. You know, we, we've got to be in the end times. He wasn't Lutheran, but he was talking the rapture and all kinds of things. And it was, but he was convinced of because of the you know political turmoil. It was but you know, so nothing new there. I think that's a fear. I mean, I come across that pastorally a lot of times in my shut-in visits. I mean, anybody that's got um, news channel, I won't say which one, but it rhymes with ox uh, on all the time. You know, I mean, it really keeps you thinking. <laughs> NPR doesn't rhyme with ox. I don't understand. <laughs> uh, well, well, <laughs> my shut-ins wouldn't be uh, listening to that. Um, uh, but, uh, but anyway, I mean, there's very. I think it's news in general. I don't, I don't think it's necessarily. I mean, you're going to have different flavors of it. But this idea that that there's this very uh, great fear created, and for me, when I visit them, that's an opportunity to bring it back to the gospel. Hmm. You know, and, well, and that, to you know, march them from that secondary doctrine of, yes, you know, Jesus is coming again. And yes, Jesus uh, in the scriptures uh, describes, um, sometimes in very scary, you know, ways, what the what um, the time before his coming lo- looks like, and the time before Jerusalem's demise as well. Um, but to bring it back to the fundamental doctrine, which drives us to, to proclaim that tr- uh, reality. And, and I think we should, you know, give our evangelical brothers and sisters uh, the benefit of the doubt. I don't know if they always realize how much they leave people in the law hmm. when they do these things, man. Um, because I have talked at length with people who their position as Christians is one of fear, because oftentimes in the same way that the medieval church viewed Christ as the scary judge, that's the picture they have. And it's not because the gospel maybe is never there. It just never predominates. You know, I, I don't know enough or listen to him enough to kind of be able to tell. But I know in these particular programs, holy cow, man, it is it is a law. Jesus is coming. You better watch out. Um, and even though that is a secondary doctrine and you can find places where Jesus talks that way, I don't know about all the, you know, the specifics that they get into. That's getting goofy as far as I'm concerned. But at any rate, uh, it's all law. And, and where's the gospel come in? And, um, yeah, because the fundamental doctrine is lost. Yeah, yeah, and then being left in the law is kind of the, the entire <laughs> the entire danger of all false teaching, that you're left having to justify yep. yourself, right, as opposed to left trusting that Jesus has justified you. And so when you, when you lose the fundamentality of the gospel, you're inevitably going to end up having to save yourself in one way or another. It sounds like you wanted to say something, Jacob. No, I, I'm I'm in agreement. I think that I mean, and and Peeper, you know, as he gets along here, you know, quotes Luther saying the same thing. You know, the article of the Christ as a prime as a fundamental article and the doctrine of justification by faith, um, in order to understand Christ's work for us for our salvation, is is what uh is what saves us. It's what's at the center and it's what distinguishes us from all other religion and and philosophies and approaches to life and um and that's that's important before we move uh, into that paragraph i don't want to go too fast over it's a bit of a side tangent thing it's not the main thing he's talking about here but but mentioning that uh, the papacy is the antichrist you guys you guys ready to open that can of worms just a little bit well 
I mean, it's this is not, you know, I don't think this is front page news. This, you know, I think everybody kind of knows this. I remember, oh, who was the presidential candidate? A woman from Minnesota. Used to be Wisconsin Synod, I believe, but she went non-denominational because she didn't want to have to deal with the Antichrist implications of her Lutheran heritage, man. Um, uh, so, I mean... No, I don't. I, as long as you understand properly what he's talking about, I mean, the spirit of the Antichrist is anything that points you away from the doctrine of justification by grace alone through the, you know, atonement, Christ's work of atonement on the cross. And yeah, this is this is the stasis, the way that the Greeks would say this is the this is the fork in the road. I mean, either I mean you you go with what what Lutherans say on this and what Scripture says on this, or you go the way that the the Catholic Church goes on it with uh, tradition and 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 the way they talk about it. But I mean, you, you know, you can't you can't have it both ways. So to me, this this is I mean, either you're going to agree or not agree. Uh, but clearly, from Scripture, um, saying that the Pope is the Antichrist is Okay, so to the degree, I mean, the office of the Pope, not, I think that's an important distinction to make, not the man in the office, but that office uh, undermines, undermines uh, the gospel. And so there it sits. I mean, this is, this is, <laughs> this is the entire entirety of the apology of the Augsburg Confession, for goodness sakes. Yeah, you know? yeah, it absolutely is. The reason I think that it confuses people is because they import into the language that we just used, though, all these ideas about the Antichrist being sort of the devil incarnate with some sort of supernatural power to spin his head around in circles and, and throw up on the exorcist and all sorts of stuff like that. And that's not quite what we're saying. We're talking about an office which is officially teaching that you don't, you, you need to just Justify yourself that Christ is not sufficient for your salvation. And anyone who would say such a thing is anti-Christ. Listen to Cross Defense. We'll be right back. The changing face of missions is the theme for the 2018 Alma Conference. Connect with peers, partners, suppliers, and mission experts on January 31st and February 1st during the Associational Lutheran Mission Agencies Conference. To register for this two-day Alma Conference, visit almanetwork.org or call 208-660-1818. The 2018 Alma Conference is co-sponsored by the Lutheran Legacy Foundation and the Lutheran Church Missouri Senate Office of International Mission. I was glad when they said to me, Let us go to the house of the Lord. Psalm 122, verse 1. Each weekday, the servants of God at the LCMS International Center gather together to receive the gifts of God in His Word. I invite you to join us weekdays, 10 a.m., for a live broadcast of daily chapel services on KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. Did you know there's a private prayer chapel in the United States Capitol for U.S. representatives and senators? And as a place of prayer, it isn't open to the public. The room near the Capitol Rotunda was established by House and Senate Resolution and opened in 1955. Its focal point is a stained glass window depicting George Washington kneeling in prayer. Surrounding him are words from Psalm 16:1, Preserve me, O God, for in Thee do I put my trust. Above the kneeling Washington are words from Lincoln's Gettysburg Address, This Nation Under God. Two lower panels of the window show the Bible and a candle, signifying the light from God's law. Underneath the window, a Bible is opened to Psalm 23. Engage with the Bible in its impact and influence in every sphere. 
Brought to you by Museum of the Bible in Washington, D.C. Your weekly dose of worldview demolition, cross-defense, setting up shop at the mighty fortress of our Lord's Word, as confessed by that great dogmatician, Dr. Francis Pieper. We're on page 81 of volume one of his Christian Dogmatics, talking about fundamental and non-fundamental doctrines with Pastor Samuel Bobby and Pastor Jacob Bobby. We're going to read the rest of this page here, page 81, where he continues and says this. He says, the question which articles the question, which articles are fundamental, as distinguished from non-fundamental articles, must be answered by Scripture, right? So how are we to tell what are the what are the, the primary or the foundational truths, and what are the, the truths that are true and important but are not foundational? Uh, and Scripture alone can teach us this, as Scripture clearly states which articles constitute the foundation of the Christian faith. Some say that in the interest of freedom of doctrine, the concept fundamental doctrines cannot be clearly defined. They point to the fact that there is no general agreement among theologians on this question. So this is sort of the everyone disagrees, so there can't be any truth. Since since we all disagree, there's no truth, right? Well, wait, hold on. Maybe we're all just wrong, right? Or maybe most of us are wrong. So, yeah, but but that, that's kind of the argument that's being put forward. And he he references then the Erlangen theologian. Erlangen's a, a place of teaching theology in Germany, I believe. Uh, Hoffman, for instance, thinks that. And a quote from Hoffman. The dispute about the distinction between fundamentals and non-fundamentals has up to this day yielded no results. Our reply, Francis Pieper says, is that where the scripture, scriptural concept of the objective, excuse me, I'm sorry, poorly read. Our reply is that where the scriptural concept of the object of saving faith is accepted, there can be no doubt as to which are the articles fundamental. According to scripture... Saving faith is faith in the remission of sins for the sake of Christ's vicarious satisfaction. Faith in the grace of God, who justifies the sinner without deeds of the law by faith. Scripture teaches that only he who, through the operation of the Holy Ghost, accepts this forgiveness, this justification, is a true believer. A, quote, believer in the scriptural sense of the term, such as Galatians 2. Knowing that a man is not justified by works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ. Peeper again says, only such a one is a member of the Christian church. Quotes Acts 5, believers in the Lord were added to the church. One who does not believe the article of justification by faith is not, as scripture plainly states, a child of Abraham is not numbered among the believers, is outside the Christian church. And he references Galatians 3, 6 to 10 there. Luther puts it thus, quote, this article of justification is the head and cornerstone which alone begets, nourishes, builds, preserves, and protects the church. Without it, the church of God cannot subsist one hour. And again, all people in the world who do not hold this article on justification are either, and now just hear this rightly, Jews or Turks or Papists or heretics. What he means is believing that circumcision is your salvation, or believing that following Muhammad is your salvation, or believing that doing the works prescribed to you by the Pope or yours is your salvation, or some other type of self-justifying proposition is what he's getting at there. So... Last sentence, the dogmaticians have called the doctrine of justification the uh, the articulum omnium fundamentalissimum. Uh, uh, I almost had it. Fundamentalissimum. Uh, it's like uh, it's like watching Looney Tunes a little bit there. You know, I I I get the fundamental article. Fundamental, <laughs> fundamental article part. The om, omnium I don't have, guys. You guys know the omnium? 
I'm going to say above all, kind of like that sense. Above all. So the article. Above article, above all else, yeah. All right. Like ultimate almost, right? Yeah. 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 Most important, yeah. All right. So, I mean, that was a mouthful. Uh, I kind of went a little on tangent there for the for the Jews and Turks and Papists part, but uh, there's quite a bit else we can talk about. So where do you want to start? We got about got ten minutes here. Well, well, I like it that uh, you know he references Hoffman saying uh, the dispute this the dispute about the distinction between fundamentals and non fundamentals up to this day yielded no results. I mean, like, well, I love a this is like an academic's view, you know, like all all of us scholars. And, and thinkers can't agree upon fundamentals and non-fundamentals. Therefore, this distinction is useless. And Peter's like, are you kidding me? Let's go back to the scriptures themselves because they are not silent on this point. The scriptures themselves say something about fun- fundamental and non-fundamental doctrine and lay out what the fundamental doctrine is and what non-fundamental doctrines are, too. Maybe not in those specific words, but the scriptures are not silent on this point, and that's what I love about about Peeper, and you see it in Chemnitz as well. What do the scriptures themselves present as the fundamental doctrine? Well, and he has this assumption that you can understand what the scriptures say, right? I mean, that's that's yeah. really the big difference. He he thinks scripture makes sense. Right, right, and that is a hugely important assumption. I mean, it's it's the key assumption in the worldview that Peeper is coming from, and that professional Lutherans are coming from. That the scriptures make sense. Luther and the bondage of the will comes from the same same sort of uh, assumption when Erasmus is like, oh, well, the scriptures, you know, don't really say this, and they're not really clear about the, bond, the freedom of the will, the bondage of the will. And Luther's like, what? The Holy Spirit is no skeptic. <laughs> hmm. <laughs> the scriptures hmm. speak, and, uh, and we, can understand, we can understand them. And, and so... Yeah, I love it that he goes back to the scriptures, what they themselves say about this. You know, you'll hear this today, not in so many words, but, you know, the Bible's a big book, and it says a lot of things. So, you know, who of us can really be sure what, what, it, what it says, right? It sounds so nice and pious. It almost sounds humble, but it's actually the assumption that the Bible doesn't have the truth in it. It's kind of nuts. Uh, Sam, you got a shot? Well, you got to call it. You called this out when you read through it. But this idea that because people don't agree, it couldn't possibly make sense. I had a professor in college, Dr. Charles Follett. Wonderful. He'd always make this move when people tried to pull this. He says, so you got a group of people who says the earth is is flat. You have a group of people who says the earth is is round. So you conclude from that that the earth has no form. That That is fundamentally ridiculous, right? Um, either, like you said, everyone's wrong or one's right and one's wrong. The question is, okay, get into why you would believe this. And that's where his, you know, this Hoffman's um, quotation about yielded no results. I mean, uh, you, what do you mean by results here? <laughs> you know, what kind of results are you looking for? I, I, I'll tell you what result is confirmable through history. When you start tinkering around with Scripture and bringing things in, you lose the gospel. And that's the result of this Huffman's analysis, too. As he moves along, even though he's going to claim that you can, because this is his, 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 you know, this guy that he's, that Peeper's writing against, he will claim, oh, yeah, I believe in Scripture, but he grounds in the human experience. Well, guess what? People have different experiences. Yeah, you, you know, you, you got to call out that move when you hear it, because that's what allows that idea to say, well, it's a big book, lots of stuff in there to sound like a pious move when it's not. It's intellectual laziness at the best. Another way I've heard this done is, at least as a pastor, when I when I try to point to a piece of Scripture and say, look, it says this here, and this is what's important, there's sort of this move where it's like, well, I can't really argue with you because you're trained in, in, in theology, and so you know these things, but 
and then they just run off in a different direction, right? It, which is just to me, it's it's sad. It's sad because it is a what what faith does, like you, like you said, Jacob, is Holy Spirit's not a skeptic. What faith does is it hears the word, and even when that word tells me what I don't want to hear. It cuts you, and 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 you kind of you, you yep. sit and you and you bow before it and you say, well, okay, fine. I don't know. I don't. I don't even maybe. Have, I don't like what it says, but it says what it says, and so that's that's true. Whatever's wrong in this scenario, it's in me, not in the book. Yeah, and 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 that um <clears throat> that perspective is is necessarily necessary to do theology, Christian theology. Otherwise, you're, you're, boy, you can spin your wheels in a whole lot of different flavors of saying nothing, which is, is what Peeper, I, th- I think sometimes when I read Peeper, I sense some frustration in his writing, um, because, I mean, he's coming across these modern theologians that, that are just spinning their wheels in all sorts of different, different ways, and they're all not making any sense because they've, disconnected themselves from the fundamental doctrine and which is at the center of how we interpret scripture and they've cut disconnected themselves from scripture and that is just leads to all sorts of of silliness and 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 i think that i mean people are sitting there going i mean how 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 is it that you can't see this but but that that's kind of what he's dealing with well, it speaks a little bit to the blindness of human nature, too. The, the willful forgetfulness, I think St. Peter calls it, the, the willful ignorance, the, the choosing to not see, rather than be crushed beneath the law and, and have nothing but the cross to fall back on. What's interesting here, there's a good German word, and we've talked about it on this program before, and it's called Zeitgeist, mm. which is you know literally translated the spirit of the times, because you know the Antichrist earlier, well, John will bring that up, and in First John chapter four, and he'll call it the spirit of the Antichrist. I mean, when you have these guys in the 19th century rejecting Scripture, they didn't think they were rejecting certainty. But what they're doing, without even knowing it, because they're just kind of looking within their median context, is they're hanging their theology on the zeitgeist. They're hanging their theology on on experience. I mean, Lee Hoffman is because that is what is taken to be certain at his particular time and his particular context. And you see people doing this all the time. You know, they say, okay, well, I'm going to bring in some other criteria that the culture or my experiences or my feelings tell me that I can rely on and trust on. And, and that's how I'm going to base, you know, judge or judge God. And I'm going to work God into my story based on these criteria when God's word has no desire to do that at all. He wants to crush and kill your story so he can work you into his. I think one of the most valuable things in, in the book Broken that I wrote a while back uh, is I, I try to show that by, by example that every major fracture point in the history of Christianity, every major division that's happened has been when one group, one, one half of the group, as it were, chooses to believe more in the most popular ideas of the time than in Scripture and tries to hold it together. So particularly, uh, you see this at the Age of Reformation. 
not only with the medieval error, which had already already happened a while before, of, of effectively believing in kingdoms as being sort of the primary thing, that the authority and power is the way that the church is going to work. And if we just all have one head, we'll be fine. Well, that's kind of how you get the Pope. But then you get this other swing that as the Age of Enlightenment comes up, now it all has to make sense. And so you have the Protestant Reformation hijacked by the Age of Reason instead. And today, you know, so what's, what's the major popular heresy of of america today that's not a christian heresy and it's it's business actually it's is the belief that i can pragmatically fix all things by applying the right tactics and marketing strategies right and what do you see dividing the churches today is 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 pretty much salesmanship yeah uh, and the need to grow at all costs because the bottom line's got to keep going up that's what the economy does right and so it's very interesting how this this is the zeitgeist idea and i like the i like to translate that as the time ghost the ghost of time you know he's, he's uh-huh. the the, de- the demon behind the winds of the Here's age the yeah, yeah? Uh, and and i mean that's in the word zeitgeist you can even hear it ghost geist um yep. but it, to see that that danger is always there for us and that scripture is this solid plank or platform or foundation kind of hovering above the waters as it were and pressing us through to the other side we just got about about two two and a half three minutes left here so uh, each of you got to get a closing shot at the day what are your what are your thoughts from the whole hour well i, well, I mean um, go, ahead. go ahead jacob love it okay, jacob okay. go first <laughs> Well, picking up on you, it's interesting, you know, when you say the zeitgeist of the day is business, and then, and you know, um, and business is about, you know, uh, supplying uh, demand, which I think is demands of our individual wants and needs, and it's very much an individualistic sort of thing, and I think I, you encounter that a lot, where people want to go with what they feel they need and know, and then whatever whatever the scripture says contrary to that cannot possibly be true because it's not affirmed in what they feel they need and know, and um, and so that's a very good point. I think overall, I mean, again, um, this is a useful practical um, distinction, uh, and and I think for Christians in general, it helps you um, it helps you die. You know, when you're talking to another Christian, um, uh, it helps you understand maybe what. Is they what they have at the center of their fundamental doctrine? I think pastorally it helps you in terms of preaching and, and, and teaching, in terms of bringing everything back to Jesus, you know, and the proclamation of the gospel and your preaching. Um, so it's a useful. This just section right here is useful, even before he gets into what are the fundamental doctrines. Peter gives us something useful from this two, these two pages. Sam, you got twenty seconds. Yeah, it's a good diagnosing tool, like Jacob said. You know, if you're hearing anything that's moving you away from Scripture and the fundamental nature of Christ, um, well, guess what? Uh, you're probably dealing with a spirit that is not of Christ, not of God, but some sort of, uh, yeah, satanic spirit. So, yeah, be aware. Be on the lookout. Pastor Samuel Bobby's pastor at uh, St. Paul's Lutheran Church in Aberdeen, South Dakota. Pastor Jacob Bobby at First Trinity Lutheran Church, Bloomfield, Nebraska. I'm your host, Pastor Jonathan Fisk, with your weekly dose of worldview demolition here on Cross Defense. Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. That's not the best ending I ever gave, but it won't stop you from rocking on. We'll catch you next time. You've been listening to Cross Defense, produced by Worldwide KFUO, the official broadcast ministry of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. 
Your support is vital for this program to continue. To learn about giving opportunities, call Mary at 314-996-1518. Or you can make a gift safe, secure, and easily online at kfuo.org. Thank you for listening and supporting Cross Defense on Worldwide KFUO.